0: Ayer's on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer.
1: You know, honey, the reason this show is called Ayer's on the Road is because that is that. Thanks for correcting my grammar. We have been on the road so much over the last few years. We've spoken to parents and families in 45 different countries, but now... At this moment, we're actually off the road, we're at home, and we're working feverishly on the release of a new book, and the name of the book is The Turning, Why the State of the Family Matters, and What the World Can Do About It. Pretty sweeping title.
0: It really is. um, We're hoping to change the world, but maybe not totally.
1: Maybe one family at a time. Maybe Maybe that's the only way you can change the world is one family at a time.
0: I guess so, but it, we really have had an amazing experience with this. We started with it five years ago, um, and thought so we'd just do a little book about the American family. And then since then, we maybe it was longer than five years ago.
1: Six, seven, seven years ago, yeah, that we first started thinking about this book.
0: But we've been traveling a lot and realizing that the state of the family is in disarray. We are so worried. The more research we've done, the more scared we've become, because um, we're losing the traditional family in a big way.
1: Faster than we had ever expected, and so let's give you kind of a table of contents for today's show. We're going to spend the first half of the show talking about some of the really depressing research that we've done and, and where we where our conclusions have led us in terms of what's happening to the family and why. And thank goodness the show's not going to end there because I guarantee you by the time we take a break, you'll be a little concerned that things are worse than you thought they were, just as we've been, as we've done the research. But then we'll take a break and we'll come back after the break. We'll tell you what some of our conclusions are in this new book and why we think maybe, just maybe, There is a turning, a turning back toward family. We're seeing it in various places, and and we use the word turning somewhat as a double meaning because there's a wonderful scripture, that's actually the last verse in the Old Testament that says that in the latter days, essentially, the hearts of the parents need to turn to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest the whole earth be cursed. And one of the conclusions of our book is that what we're seeing with the social problems and the difficulties that have become more intense by far in the last couple of decades throughout the world than ever before, that maybe those should be thought of as the curse that comes upon a society when families are no longer paid attention to. So anyway, we'll kind of go in that that basic order. We'll talk a little about what the concerns are that we have, And I want to say right at the beginning, and we'll say it again at the end, too, that for those of you that are listening, that get interested, or either are interested now or get interested during the show, a wonderful new website now called the-turning.com. So if you go to the-turning, the-turning with a hyphen in between the words, .com, you'll find a lot of these statistics we've been talking about, and you'll find the information on this book that we, I think, is it, is it saying too much, Linda, to say we think it's the most important book we've we've ever written?
0: Well, people really, um, really resonate with the fact that the family's in trouble. They know, even though we in the Intermountain West are kind of in a bubble, sort of, um, there are a lot of wonderful families. And. They're just happy with the way their families are, but there are just so many families that are struggling. The statistics are so scary.
1: And one of the things, by the way, that we think we we often to our friends, and they say, you're working on another parenting book, and we say, no. We've done a lot of parenting books, and they're sort of how-to books, but this is really a why-to book because our our feeling is that unless – good, well-meaning parents, do they understand what's happening to families and what the forces are that are working against the values they want to teach their kids? They're uninformed and they're not able to do a very good job of being parents. And so let's get right into it, Linda. What do you think are the most telling, uh, I don't want to say statistics because that's just a big word. You can use statistics any way you want, but what are the, what are the tipping points that we're, that we're seeing?
0: You know, we've listed 10 at the first of the book, and they really are scary. And even since then, we've found even more alarming things. But these are the ones that we mentioned. Um, First of all, we're very close to the point where there will be more U.S. adults who are single than who are married. And that's not surprising, really, when we realize the hundreds of thousands of single young adults. That are not married and sometimes not even seeking to be married. They've decided it's easier to be uh, independent. Yeah.
1: And Rather than comment on them, let's read through them fast and then comment on them and jump. But the reason, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, honey, but I'm, there are 10 of them. And, uh, you know, the reason we call them tipping points is simply to illustrate the fact that traditional families, or even those who believe in natural traditional families, are now in the minority. We've We've sort of passed this. Tipping point So number two in, in many Western countries, nearly as many children are now born out of wedlock as in. Number three
0: uh, more. US marriages now end in divorce and stay together, although it's about as 50 to 50 just at very uh, which is so sad and so scary because when you realize people get married, Uh, It may or may not work, 50% chance.
1: Number four, in many world cities, there are now more households that are occupied by one single individual than by households of any kind, any kind of family. Think of that. In many cities, more households just have one person living there because people are no longer getting married.
0: In England, a majority of women of childbearing age say they would rather buy a house than have a child and a third say they would not ever want children. In some Asian countries, there are more women between 20 and 40 who say they do not want children than who say they do.
1: Number six, in the US and Europe, among couples that move in together, far more choose cohabitation than marriage. In fact, four times as many couples moved in cohabitating last year as moved in having gotten married.
0: I think um, one of the statistics is 82% of those in Scandinavia firstborn children are born out of wedlock, which is terrifying. Um, more than half of the Hispanic children in the U.S. are now raised in fatherless homes, which is so true. I mean, that and also black children are so devoid of fathers.
1: Among African Americans, 70 Seven in 10 kids, 70% are raised without a a dad. Number eight, throughout the world, higher percentages now seem to believe that the family should support the career than that the career should support the family.
0: Um, We'll come back to that because we were just in Singapore and realized something really startling. But number nine, women can now constitute more than half of the American workforce, and women are now the primary bed breadwinners in 40% of families. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just the fact that they're away from their children so much and often it's because they're single moms and they have to be.
1: And the labor force participation for women age 20 to 44 has increased from 37% to 75%. So 75% of the women who have children at home are now working in one form or another. And then finally...
0: In two thousand and fourteen, for the first time, more than one half of the nations on the planet, one hundred and sixteen of the earth's two hundred twenty four recognized sovereign states and countries have birth rates below the replacement rate of two point one children per woman and now must encourage more births or count on in in migration to maintain
1: their workforce so you see those are just those are selected numbers just to point out that there really is a tipping point here and that we're not, you know, we used to think, I mean, the prevailing thinking, I think, among people who had families was that, well, families always be the majority and, and, you know, there will be some alternative lifestyles and there will be some who don't marry and so on, but it'll always be a minority. Well, guess what? We have passed a tipping point and those who even think that traditional families are the way that society should function, <clears throat> have become a, a, a minority. And, and tragically, Linda, a silent minority. We're not, We're not, you know, there are groups who are standing up for their rights, and married traditional families are not one of those groups. And part of the purpose of this book is to try to rally us and say, wow, if families continue to disintegrate, our whole society will go with them. And what are we going to do to stop it?
0: You know, um, going back to this number eight, um, it really is quite amazing when we were in Singapore recently, um, the replacement of, how do you say that, replacement of, in families is 0.6. In other words, less than half of replacement for themselves
1: um, you need a 2.1 birth rate per woman right. to to maintain your current present population. Right. So
0: it's going down fast. Um, a lot of those are Chinese families, and we know about the one-child policy in China. But they're realizing how serious this is for their economy. Uh, their economy is taking a dive because they don't have the they won't have the workforce in the future.
1: Well, the tragedy is it's they, they call it the inverted pyramid, that a small, smaller and smaller decreasing number of workers, wage earners, are going to have to support a vastly increasing number of, of elderly people. So, again, it's a tipping point because up until a few years ago, most demographers were worried about overpopulation, using up the world's resources, yada, yada, yada. Now, in more than half the countries of the world, we're worrying about too few people. We need to increase the birth rate. And so again, it comes down to this thing that we excuse me, we sometimes call it the death spiral of families. First it was too many divorces, then it was too many people not getting married at all, simply cohabitating. And now more and more people not even not even bothering to cohabitate, not even living with someone, not even having any semblance of a family, simply choosing to be single and to be childless and to preserve their options, preserve their freedom, preserve their individual rights. Maybe get a dog or something because a dog, unlike a baby, won't tie you down forever. And, And, you know, we used to kind of smile and say, well, some people feel that way. Well, guess what? It's a majority now. It's a majority who are really in their minds not for some evil intent but they're turning away and again that's the reason for the name of the book The Turning the first part of the book is turning away and it's this really frighteningly rapid change that's going on in society and then the second half of the book is turning back can we get it to turn back that's where we'll go after we take a brief break but again for additional information go to theturning.com but put a hyphen between the and turning and you'll see some of these numbers. We'll be right back after this break on a more optimistic note.
0: And we're back talking today about a book that we're about to launch, which we've been working on for a long, long time because of our concerns with the family, and not just the American family, the worldwide family. It is such a scary topic, which we've been talking about. The first half of this show, we talked about the turning away, and all of the scary statistics that we've discovered in working on this book, and it's really worse than we thought, right?
1: Yeah, that, well, I think it's faster than we thought, too. The decline is is so steep. I mean, institutions that have been honored and, and uh, thought of as the foundation of society for thousands of years, just in the last 20 years, have taken a tremendous hit. And so, you know, I guess we're a little grandiose in this book. We don't think the book itself will change everything, but we kind of see the book... As the tip of the iceberg, and the, the real iceberg is more and more families who are really, really getting concerned about how difficult it is to raise children in today's world, and so the second half of the book, The Turning Back, sort of suggests that there are two ways to look at it. There's a micro, and there's a macro. There's a little way to look at it in a big way, and they're both important. The little way is hey, what can we do to just protect our own families? What can we do to be sure that the outside cultures, the peer culture, the media culture, the internet culture, don't influence the values of our children more than we influence them within our own family culture? How do we strengthen our family culture, in other words? And we've, we've tried to sort of narrow down the things that we think are the best practices that we've found in families over the last 20 or 30 years and, and suggest those to parents as a way to sort of defend your own family against the encroachment of a sort of an anti-family, anti-commitment, anti-responsibility, anti-sacrifice world around us. And then the macro is really about how to band together and kind of become a little more demanding that businesses and media and the Internet and even education do a little more to support families and a little less to disrupt families.
0: Now, as we talk about this turning back and things families can do, we realize we're talking to a lot of great families out there, honey. A lot of
1: great parents. There are are so many good
0: families, absolutely, who are just really doing their best and have better ideas than we do in a lot of ways, or taken a good idea and made it better, Um, it really is wonderful to see these terrific families. In fact, the families we speak to, more often than not, are usually families who are very committed to their children. Um, They are committed to each other as a married couple and are totally committed to helping their children. But there are so many who aren't and so many who are struggling, and so we thought we would do a little book within a book and um, do a chapter on things that the parents can really do with their families and grandparents can
1: help too. You know what you're saying, Linda, is really, (laughs) excuse me, part of the problem is that, you know, a close day, but a lot of times we find ourselves preaching to the choir. In other words, And I think that's what we're doing now. I think most of the people who listen to Ayers on the Road, at least by definition, care about their families, and that's probably why they're listening. Of course. That means that they're probably pretty conscientious and doing a pretty good job, and maybe the ones who aren't listening and who never would are the ones who might need help most with their families, so that's always kind of a dilemma. But what we've come to believe is that if we sort of rally the forces, if we if we do our best to reach out to those who feel similarly to to ourselves about not only the joy and the fulfillment that comes from being a parent and devoting yourself and prioritizing your children, but also just the idea that uh, that's, that's, that's what makes life worth living. And if we can reach people who share that feeling, there may be a way to sort of popularize parenting and celebrate commitment that causes those who are failing to do those things to say, well, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I need to do better myself.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I have a friend <clears throat> who I just talked to this week who was is so interesting because she has a really hard family. It's a second marriage. Uh, their oldest, uh, the oldest of her husband, is a Down syndrome child and she has two other children with um, some really serious uh, syndrome. One has a syndrome, and the other says she, he just can't imagine she's ever done anything right or ever will do anything right. He's kind of at that age. And we were talking about this book, and she said, I said, you know, well, even though your family is so hard, and actually her father is living with them and is struggling as well with Alzheimer's and so on, I said, even though your family is so hard, what would you do without your family? where would you be in this world without your family? And she said, oh, I just, I have to have this book because I don't know what I would do without a family. They have enriched my life so much. They have given me so much. They have taught me so much. They have have made me a better person by far. She said, I really thought I would never have children. But she said, I have just been blessed with these kids, and as hard as it is, I wouldn't give them up for anything. So
1: So what we want to do, let's just kind of give you a quick review of, of what we've tried to boil down in the second half of the book that, that we recommend parents focus on because, you know, that parenting can be a complicated thing and family rearing and family heading can be a complicated thing. But we kind of think it boils down to seven things. First, The first one is do a little analysis of your own commitment. Are Are you really personally committed enough your family, and to prioritizing your children, that you make decisions in your life based on those commitments. And we've got a whole section on how to assess and then recommit yourself. And and then number two, um, correct principles. Part of the problem in the world is there are so many false paradigms. The media suggests that most people are amoral, that most people uh, jump in bed on the first date, that most High school kids are not virgins. And most people have
0: affairs, you know, just to make it look like everybody is deviant in some way.
1: So the second thing is a whole section on how to teach kids correct principles and how to show them that, you know, everyone is not the way that media sometimes portrays them to be.
0: Number three is to reinvent time management and balance and prioritize your family more than you have done. I mean, even though you feel like you are, it can be better. And um, I just think that so often people get wrapped up in their work and things they're doing, or even if you're at home with your family, you get wrapped up in washing the windows or keeping the floor clean and so on. And not really prioritizing our our kids,
1: even even the idea of time management is usually thought of as a work tool, and we ought to think of it as a family tool. We ought to think of it as managing our time so we really have the time we need with our highest priority.
0: It is so true uh, we 've met so many women who are so occupied with their occupation that that are their career and they feel that they just can 't give it up and go home in fact the Women in Japan are expected, once they're married, once they have a child, they're expected to stay home and rear the child. They still have that family value, but because they don't want to give up their job and and their lifestyle, they're saying, nope, okay then, I just don't have any children. Not to even
1: have kids. Um, The fourth one is to, to make selective use of larger institutions. That's a complicated one, but there's a whole section on the idea that Kids need to learn to recognize that there are good and bad in the media. There's good and bad in education. There's good and bad in business. There's good and bad in banking. There's good and bad in government. Kids need to understand that, yes, we need all these institutions, but we don't want to devote our loyalty to them or participate in things that they are doing that are leading us astray. For example, just to pick a simple example, you know, we all, we're glad for banks, we're glad for financial institutions, but when they allow us, when they give us the kind of credit that allows us to get hopelessly in debt, that's the kind of thing kids have to be warned about and understood, that, that these larger institutions are not always on our side in everything, to speak of family. Number five, we've got to make communication. There's a big section on communication because that is the constant problem it drives us crazy, doesn't it, When Every time oh my we families, they're not talking to each other.
0: Well, when we go to movies or we, we see things on TV, we just keep saying, why don't they just talk to each other? Why don't they just tell each other how they feel? If you haven't been raised in that environment, it's harder to share how you feel. But it is so important to do it because that's what makes a healthy family.
1: And number six is really some exercises to create more identity and security and motivation for children where they really feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves. And last, values therapy, we call it, working on one value a month within the family. So the second half of the book is really hopeful. It's like even though the world's moving in another direction, you within your own family can create a family culture stronger than all those other cultures. So I think, I hope readers will feel, Linda, that the book ends hopefully and not hopelessly.
0: Yeah, I hope so too. Um, There are just so many issues that we deal with every day, and hopefully there are some really good down-to-earth ideas, Um, like, you know, your kids come and say, yeah, but so-and-so, you know, Johnny gets to watch TV as long as he wants and be on the computer as long as he wants. He doesn't have any rules and so on and so on. And uh, we love the three words, okay, that's that's good for Johnny, but in our family, those three words, in our family, this is the way we're going to do it. We can create a culture that is stronger than the culture around us, even though sometimes even our friends, our kids' friends, are yeah, working against them. They
1: think, well, and then some people, some, more and more parents say, how do I combat all these other cultures? Well, you do it by being proactive now. We don't usually do this on ours on the road, but let us give you. Do we dare say it this way, Linda? Let's, can we give them a little homework assignment? Just a little one? I guess sure,
0: if be, you're driving a car, and you may not want you to, have to do it later. Time.
1: But, but just remember, when you get home tonight or when you get online, just take a, because The book's not out yet. The book won't come out until the very end of the month or the 1st of September. But just go online and go to theturning.com with a hyphen in between the words the hyphen turning, and just take a look through how we feel families are turning away and how we think they can be turned back. And then you can read some excerpts from the book. You can look at some graphics that are there. And you can, even if you want, you can join team turning, which is a way to try to make more parents aware that – this effort is there and that we really are going to seriously try to strengthen families and bring together people who feel the same way we Yeah,
0: do. and not just your own family, but to help other families and to help the big guys, the media, the banks, the things that Richard mentioned earlier. Those are the things that are going to be able to make a difference to families if we can get a heads up on them so that they say, oh, we need to do a better job of helping families. That's what
1: this movement is all about. So let's turn the tide, and thanks for listening to us on our soapbox today on Ayers on the Road, and we'll see you right back here next week.